to Tokyo that we head now to welcome Elizabeth Beatty. She's a journalist based in Tokyo. I think you've just had a shake there, Elizabeth, from uh, one set of quaky isles to another shaky island. Uh, was it a big one? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's not a massive one. I think it was 0.5 over in Chiba. So out of Tokyo, it's likely to be a, a more significant shake. Um, it was kind of a prolonged uh deeper shake i would describe it as but um yeah just a few moments before we, we started talking one of those um, so if there's rumbling. any more if there's any more you'll go where you need to go <laughs> yeah I, I might i might talk to you from under the table but all good <laughs> One of those rolly, deep rumbly rollers. Um, interestingly, we were talking a little bit earlier in the week to GNS, which is uh, one of the science organisations coming at a, an early warning system, although mainly it's using sensors around the country mainly to get a really clear and immediate picture of the impact of a quake for response purposes. We do have the Android phones here are obviously using some kind of sensor to, to send out alerts Um of a looming earthquake, but how sophisticated is Japan's early warning system, Elizabeth? Yeah, yeah, no, that's very fascinating. Um, Japan is quite a well-oiled machine. I mean, we saw during the Noto earthquake recently uh, that that kind of apparatus, information apparatus and warning system really jump into action. So basically, if a significant earthquake is coming our way, we'll often get a countdown on our phone, like a push notification and then this alarm, which really sounds kind of apocalyptic and end of the world, but it's enough to kind of give you the chance to kind of jump under a table or prepare yourself that a, that a, a quake is so incoming. So like 15, basically. 20 seconds or something like that warning typically is there? Or? I mean, it kind of, it does depend. Sometimes it's a matter of three seconds, but but yeah, typically you, if the uh, if the government agencies monitoring quakes have more notice, they give you as much notice as possible. And that must come from a series of sensors offshore and on land, does it? That they're, they're warnings, they pick up the initial waves. That's right. Uh, so there's all these kind of monitoring bodies around Japan that are primed for, for any kind of shaky activity, basically. Mm. The idea is to, um, you know, they still use a traditional media like TV to kind of get the message out to, especially amongst the older population. But the idea is just... Everyone should know that a quake is incoming before yeah. a quake happens. Now, record low fertility rates in South Korea and Japan, this despite a drive to get young people to have babies. I'm not quite sure what that drive involved, but you'll tell us. <laughs> That's right. So this is kind of the big issue across many, many countries in Asia at the moment. And, you know, Japan and South Korea, those, those numbers are pretty bleak. Uh, governments are, are responding by trying to... Uh, and inject billions basically into programs that will convince couples to have babies. These include babysitting services, subsidies, uh, economic in, uh, incentives. Uh, they're trying to kind of make education more affordable. Uh, there's all these various kind of uh, approaches, but it's still really not convincing people who don't who who uh, it's not convincing the population to to procreate. Basically, it's still viewed as very hard to have a family in these places. What are officials saying and doing about this? I mean, in this country, we just are back to having very high immigration rates to keep the uh, population up. Uh, but what what are what are official policies there, or what are officials saying? 
from uh, officials, there is that sense of kind of urgency. You know, South Korea's President Yoon suk yeol he's said, you know, this is a, a national priority. Um, Japan's Pre Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has called this the biggest crisis Japan faces. But you're right, you know, here... Uh, immigration uh, reform is yet to be meaningfully seen. The visas and the, that kind of system is still fairly rigid. Uh, we're seeing them architected around filling particular talent gaps. But, uh, you know, with a population crisis this bad, there's a real argument uh, being made by some that they should be enticing people to build their lives in these places and kind of uh, attract people more broadly. Um, but, yeah, reform doesn't seem to be on the table there are uh, some, um, at this moment in there are some novel incentives in other places. I think China's handing out lottery tickets. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah, How does that work? That's right. Yeah, it seems, uh, on face value, it seems quite kind of curious. Um, so in this Chinese city of Xi'an, officials are saying, yeah, we'll give you a lottery ticket, basically, if, you, if you're getting married. Um, because this kind of feeds into these traditionally held ideas around marriage and uh, procreation in, in countries like China, also Japan and, and South Korea. So the idea is uh, to make marriage more attractive. I guess it's, I don't know, the idea of gambling and marriage is kind of a, a curious one. All right. Also uh, to discuss today, the Philippines president has arrived in Australia. Yeah, so uh, Philippines President Ferdinand uh, Marcos Jr., he, he's been in Australia to uh, address Australia's parliament this week. Uh, he's also signed with Australia's PM, Anthony Albanese, uh, a new agreement, but the details of this are yet to be kind of released. But he's basically there to emphasise the strong uh, relationship between Australia and the Philippines, kind of talking up their defence relationship and uh, emphasising this as a partnership. Uh, and what are some of the strengths of the of the relationship? Is it more a um, sort of a formal sort of diplomatic calendar visit rather than signalling any other specific issue that needs or that might develop? Well, I mean, it seems to be a bit of both, to be honest. They're very keen to. Uh kind of project this idea of a united front that Australia and the Philippines do have that kind of deeper relationship. But at the same time, there's been a particular uh, a series of incidents, basically. There's rising tensions in the South China Seas uh, around this particular disrupted shoal. Uh, so Philippine fishing boats are having kind of scuffles or, or, or terse interaction with, with Chinese uh, fishing and naval ships. Uh, and Australia is become involved in these kind of drills in that that area as well. So um, that was definitely kind of hovering in the background as a, a, around this kind of visit. Right in the middle, obviously, of that dis disputed area and that area that uh, has been a, a cause of geopolitical tensions. And some protests during the visit as well? Yeah, so uh, I was listening to the speech, and for most of it, uh, he seemed to have quite a, a receptive, uh, Marcus Jr. seemed to have quite a receptive kind of audience. I heard like, people saying here, here at one point when he was talking about sovereignty. But when he did speak, uh, the Green Senator Janet Rice, she held up a sign in protest saying, stop human rights abuses. And she was kind of promptly uh, removed from the chamber. Uh, Marcus Jr. didn't react, but... Uh, uh, Janet Rice said later she felt like she uh, was really proud of uh, drawing attention to what she referred to as the appalling situations of, in human rights in the Philippines. So um, that one dissenting voice kind of got, got a lot of attention. Now, Indonesia's likely incoming president has been awarded an honorary military rank. Just explain what's happened, please. 
Yeah, so Prabhu Subianto uh, is uh, is kind of uh, yeah the presumed successor of uh, Indonesia's uh, outgoing president Joko Widodo, and Joko Widodo has kind of given him a, a stamp of approval uh, in a number of ways, but this is the kind of most recent one. He's basically given him these. Uh, this kind of four-star honor, which is uh, typically granted to the to the person who uh, leads the country's military, so it's kind of viewed as a bit of a, a stamp of approval. Um, but uh, yeah, not everyone is happy about this, given Subianto's kind of past uh, military kind of association. Uh, and what is uh, the situation? Why are we referring to a likely incoming president? Well, this is because the initial votes uh, have been tallied up. Uh, uh, they're unofficial kind of tallies from polling agencies, but they're viewed as as credit uh, uh, creditable. Like they're they're um, often reliable. And Prabowo has secured more than fifty five percent of the vote. And uh, uh, so it's February. a technicality. So basically, basically, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. I hope that shaking stops. Elizabeth, thank you for being with us. That is Elizabeth Beatty. She is based in Tokyo. She is a journalist there.